Man, I'm excited about the word I have for you tonight, and I, I really feel like it's going to help uh, all of us. Uh, it's a key, um, just a very, one of these really important central truths, and uh, it's the miracle of overcoming offenses, the miracle of overcoming offenses. And I remember hearing a minister say, to err is human, to forgive is divine. And uh, we see the modeling of forgiveness in Jesus on such a high level. But we're going to look at a few examples. Uh, but first, I just want to have a quick word of prayer about this. Father, we know that since faith works through love, and that love is one of the biggest and most important components of the kingdom of God, we ask that this will be fuel for our love walk. We ask that you help us to develop mature and grow and be less petty, resentful, irritable, and so forth, and help us to develop in this regard in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love what Jesus said in um, Luke, the 17th chapter and the first verse. And so I want you to just start there. That's my starting point. Uh, Luke 17, 1. And, uh, I'm going to read it in the New American Standard, and I'm going to say what the King James says. It says, he said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks uh, come. And in the King James, it says offenses. In uh, the margin of the literal Greek, it says in my Bible, temptations to sin. But it's inevitable that temptations, stumbling blocks, and offenses will come. So... When Jesus says it's inevitable, uh, there's no wiggle room with it. And it's a, great, um, it's a great heads up from the master. He's basically saying to us, you guys, don't idealize life. You're going to see uh, challenges in every setting, uh, in the best of families, in the best of schools, in the best of work uh, environments, in the best marriages, in the best uh, friendships. They're, they're, it's inevitable that, that offenses will come. He says, uh, but woe to, the, to him through whom they come. So it'd be better to have a millstone around your neck. And so, so this warns us not to go out and be the, the offender. And um, we should be quick to repent and quick to ask forgiveness. It goes in and it says, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. <laughs> and like the apostles then and the saints now, oh Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> How many of you like to have your faith increase so you can be merciful? Because mercy triumphs over judgment. And we're going to talk about this. If, if you're a note taker, uh, I hope you could write fast because I've got quite a bit of amazing stuff here. But something that actually came from an interesting source. Um, it's a lesson I learned from the, the pop band, the Bee Gees. And uh, it, it's a guilty pleasure. I have to admit, I have always appreciated the Bee Gees. And uh, I mean, I think the, 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 the EMT workers learn CPR with the song, Stayin' Alive. And they shouldn't do it with How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, because that's way too slow. But, and yet, listen, uh, Maurice and Robin were twins, and Barry was their older brother. Andy tragically died of a cocaine-related uh, disease at 30, a heart disease at 30 uh, in uh, 1988, the year we started our church. Uh, and, I, and I'm saddened by that. I, I remember I was preaching on the streets in Paris, and a lady told me that she was renting her house to one of the brothers. Remember that? And I was just fascinated by that, how our paths would cross. But um, Maurice died uh, about 10 years before Robin. Robin was uh, only 62 when he died, May 20th, 2012. And um, he was, you know, he was young. And his brother Barry Gibb had famously clashed. The two of them had clashed professionally and personally for decades before his death. And that conflict lasted to the end of their lives, of his life. Nonetheless, Barry delivered a eulogy at Robin's funeral service. And here's what he said, quote, 
Even right up to the end, we, we found conflict with each other. Even right up to the end, we found conflict with each other, which now means nothing. It just means nothing. He paused and then he said to the crowd, if there's conflict in your lives, get rid of it. And that's, uh, that's my message from Barry Gibb. And, I, and brothers who built their careers on harmony battled with strife. I mean, that is, they, are the, they are the British, they were born in the Isle of Man, and they, were, they had unusual harmonies. And yet, even in the midst of those unusual harmonies, which propelled them to be some of the most popular musicians in the history of popular music, strife entered in. And, uh, and, and so, this is something we've got to be aware of. Jesus said it's inevitable, even in multi-million platinum record, millionaire status, posh lifestyle, jet-set amazingness, at the end of the deal, he says, none of this matters. This means nothing now. So really, I just, I, I just feel like we should go to the book of Ephesians just right now and just, just get a quick review, chapter 4. And uh, I believe this is going to help a lot of us out. This is going to help us in this revival we're coming into, this transition we're all moving into, coming through this two-year global pandemic, coming into this moment all the decisions that need to be made, all the, all the leverage the devil's tried to use in this moment. And uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, look at this, showing tolerance for one another in love. Now look at this, verse 3, Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So God's called us to be diligent. Diligence means fervent, earnest application and effort. Fervent, earnest application and effort. We're to be diligent. The hand of the diligent shall rule. And Barry Gibb basically said he was not diligent about addressing the, uh, uh, the conflict between he and his brother all the way to the end. Now, same thing with Creedence Clearwater Revival, the two brothers. Uh, they, the one brother died from a transfusion, had the, tragically had a, 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 the blood from the HIV, and he died from it, and the brothers were at odds even up to the death. And, um, you know, these things ought not be, right? These things ought not be. And, and um, man, let, I, I want to read you an example from the Old Testament. One of my favorites, and it's in Genesis chapter 50. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. It's toward the very end of the book of Genesis, and it's uh, uh, about Joseph. And I'll, I'll read uh, verse, oh, about 12. I'll read verse 14 to about, uh, oh, let's see, where should I go with this? I'll just read, I'll read from verse 14. New Living Translation. After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him. Now, let me just give you a background if you don't know the story. Jacob was the, his, his name became Israel. And he was the father of the patriarchs, the 12 tribes. Joseph was one of the brothers, and he had a dream. He dreamt that God was going to do some amazing things and, and provide leadership through him. He made the mistake of communicating it. His brothers became jealous. They threw him in a hole. They sold him into slavery. They actually talked about killing him, but instead they sold him to slavery. They killed a lamb and put blood on his coat that his father had given him and faked his death, broke Jacob's heart. He was banished into exile into Egypt, uh, not to be seen again for a long, long time. Um, a famine broke out, and God had his anointing on, on Joseph, and God developed Joseph in Potiphar's house where he was uh, a slave, but he became the head of, and the boss uh, because no matter how much you shake up milk, cream rises to the top. Mrs. Potiphar took a, um, an unwholesome liking to him, put the moves on him. He resisted and, in fact, would not yield. She falsely accused him that he hit on her when, in fact, she was hitting on him. It was a lie. It's famous. He ran away from it. He didn't initiate it. Got thrown in jail. When he got thrown in jail, 
He, he was forgotten, but not by God. And uh, so God, he kept interpreting dreams. He kept understanding the things God was saying in the times. He understood the times. He was in touch with the living God in the midst of idolatry. And it kept becoming essential to the pharaohs. So then, uh, God anointed him and he anticipated a, a famine. And so he started to have the people store grain and get, get things built up and get things ready for the next steps. He was prophetic and he got some insights. And then uh, the brothers came back to, to, to see him and they didn't even recognize him. He didn't have the Hebrew dress. He didn't have, you know, he looked like an Egyptian, uh, but he knew them. And uh, he worked through resentment. He worked through the offenses. You know, like what Barry Gibbs said, you know, you got to work through it. Deal with it. Just get over it. Deal with it. And um, get rid of it is what he said. So here now at the end, these brothers are apprehensive and Jacob has died and they think jo Joseph is going to change his mind. He's already forgiven them. He, he wept over them. He was so thankful. He met his youngest uh, brother, Benjamin, and he, he wept over Benjamin and he he, 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 and he's, this is an example of overcoming offenses from brethren. And um, Paul had to deal with it. Jesus had to deal with it. In fact, remember what Jesus said on the cross in Luke chapter 23, verse 35. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And uh, that is what this is talking about here. So they sent this message to Joseph in verse 16. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God, the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I, am I God that I could punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Do not know, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Hear the word of the Lord, hallelujah. What an example. Joseph is an Old Testament example of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus came to forgive us of all our transgressions. In fact, if you're still in Ephesians chapter 4, let's go here and let's look at, at, at verse 26 on in verse 4, chapter 4. It says, be angry and do not sin. We know the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. There are a lot of things that we are angry about, where, you know, uh, uh, that, that stir us. That yet, but not to sin with it. He said, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. I want to tell you, the devil's an opportunist. He looks for a toehold to wheedle in. Joseph slammed that door shut in his case. Joseph said, I refuse to harbor resentment. I refuse to be bitter. I forgave you. I forgive you. I'm forgiving you. I, I, I want to assure you of that. And uh, so this is something very, very important here. He who steals must steal no more, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed, for the day of redemption. And, and this is how we avoid grieving the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Malice is the root word for malicious. It's maligning. And it says in Titus 3.2 that we're to malign no one. The King James says, speak evil of no man. Uh, we're actually called in the book of James to bless rather than curse. Uh, so that's something that we need to understand in these contexts here. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. And this is now Paul talking to the church of, of Ephesus, and he's saying to the church, 
who you would think wouldn't need to be retold this, but yet, of course, in an atmosphere, look, the Bee Gees were known for harmony, but in that atmosphere, there was conflict. Some of these great sports teams, people refused to talk to each other. Some of these rock stars. I remember we did a concert over in Illinois, and right before that, Aerosmith had played. And they were in a troubled time back, way back when in the early 80s, and they were fighting. The, the, the Joe Perry and the lead uh, Steve Tyler were fighting on the stage. The guy said they were just a Brit. I said, a fight? What do you mean a fight? They were fighting, physically fighting. So, that, you know, that's, you know... That's, how do you dream on when you're punching each other out? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but look, I love it that they're still in the game playing music together. I think it's amazing. And, uh, and here's what it says in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, look, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And, and walk in love. Walk in love. Again, Aerosmith, walk this way, Right? Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Now let's go back to chapter 4, verse 32. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Church, listen. God has forgiven you and me a $100 trillion debt. It was impossible to pay in multiple lifetimes. If, if I arranged... if. If I arrange that for my descendants to pay off the debt of my sin, no many, no, multiple generations could never pay what Jesus paid on the cross with his own blood when he said, it is finished, and he paid the penalty for the sins of humanity. Him that's forgiven much, we must love much. That's why we need to understand just how amazing this is. The example of Joseph was profound. The example of Jesus, all the more. And... Uh, I just think this is so important, and that's why I, I call it the miracle of overcoming offenses. Offenses are inevitable. They happen. We've been slighted. Uh, uh, people have hurt us, and hurt people hurt people. And, and, and I'll tell you, l l listen to some of these verses. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 15 through 19, uh, it's, in verse 16 it says, the Lord hates the one who spreads strife among brothers. God hates it. People say hate is not a family value. In the kingdom of God, God hates strife. And, uh, but if you contrast that with Psalm 133, behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Uh, we were in Fort Worth, Texas at a Bible conference and I ran into a gentleman from Lagos, Nigeria. We struck up a conversation and we asked him to pray for us. We prayed for him, he prayed for us. And he, he just prayed some interesting things over my son and my wife and me. And, and, and among the things he prayed, it was really pretty observant. He was really led by the Holy Spirit, it was beautiful. He prayed about unity, unity in our family, unity in the church, unity and harmony, didn't he? It was powerful. And I feel impressed that God really, really wants us to understand how pleasant it is I think this is what pained Barry Gibb. He stood there at Robin's funeral and said, man, the conflict, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Jesus doesn't want this to hijack phases and increments and seasons of our spiritual devotion. He doesn't want this stuff to bear down into a move of the Holy Spirit and cripple it. And so I'm anointed and I'm preaching this right now because I know exactly what I'm talking about because I've been there, done that, and lived it. Paul the Apostle itemized loads of things where he was betrayed by false brethren, by his countrymen, false brethren, pseudo-Delphos, people that act like they love you and they're really not, they're false, it's not real. Paul dealt with it. He talked about the people that betrayed him and he named them. But not in a spiteful way, just, just revealed it's inevitable. But, you, but you, you don't have a whole lot of control over that, but you do have control over how you react to that. That's good news right there. And I love what Marilyn Hickey preached. She's 90 years old now, and I'd love to have her preach again here. She's so powerful. But what she, she said is, and I love this, right from this pulpit, she said, forgiveness is not emotional ba an emotional-based decision. It's a decisional-based decision. And so you could decide to forgive, 
I believe that. I believe that. Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. This is the target, not syrupy sentiment, not patronizing artificiality, because none of us appreciate that. It comes from this conviction that him that's forgiven much owes it to the rest of society to be merciful, right? Do you understand that? You understand that? Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Proverbs 13, 10, through insolence comes nothing but strife, but wisdom is with those who receive counsel. Insolence is another word for pride. In uh, Young's literal translation, here's what it says in the King James, only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride cometh contention. Pride comes before the fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. You've got to purge that stuff out. Uh, Young's literal translation says, a vain man through pride causes debate. A vain man through pride causes debate. You get around people, they, all they want to do is argue. They, they, they yeah, but and they, they're, while you're talking to them, they're figuring out a counter to what you're saying. They're not listening to you. A brainless fool causes strife. New, New English Bible, a brainless fool causes strife. See, whoever translated that got to say that, but we can't say that to people, but he got to say it. That's just not fair. We only get to read it. Kenneth Taylor in the Living Bible, he says, pride leads to arguments. Pride leads to arguments. You know, pride is this thing of, I, you know, I, I am the finalizer. I got it figured out. It's, it's a scoffing kind of a finality. I'm, I'm, I'm above all your opinions. And so I'm going to come in and I'm going to tell you how to think. And that leads to arguments, strife, debate, contention. And those things are to be avoided. Proverbs 15, 18. It says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. One verse says, that we're not to hang out with a, do not associate with an angry man or you'll learn his ways and become like him. Bad company corrupts good morals. It is important who we hang out to, listen to, and pay attention to. Jesus said in Mark chapter four, by your, be careful what you listen to, for by your standard of measure it will be measured to you and more will be given besides. Garbage in, garbage out. You sit and foment and meditate and ponder. I've noticed times I've gotten worked up and talk things out, well, I'll tell you, I'll give them a piece of my mind. Man, it has never worked out appropriately. What, what you got to do is go back to Ephesians and not give the devil an opportunity. Don't let any unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Don't let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, malice, and so forth be put away from you. Keep that stuff away from and out of your life. Put it away from you. For, for Paul to tell the Ephesians to put it away from you means we can put it away from us. In fact, we must do that. And as imitators, as beloved children, we're to imitate God as beloved children and walk in love, walk in love, walk in love. Proverbs 17, 1, better a dry morsel and quietness with it than a house full of feasting with strife. I was told by a nutritionist that if you're in an argument or strife while you're eating, it affects your digestion. And it literally affects your digestion. And I think, I watched a concert of the Bee Gees and the idea that they're standing at these microphones and their voices blend, in my opinion, to my taste, in such an amazing way. Siblings' voices, harmonies, their different parts. I was, I'm, all, I'm fascinated by it. But yet, they didn't even want to talk to each other. And you hear about some of these guys, they, they go on this separate buses and they never even talk to each other. And, 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 and my brethren, these things ought not to be. In God's house, in God's house, we, we got to do everything we can to fight against strife. I heard somebody say it's a luxury we cannot afford. Strife is poison to the move of God. Proverbs 17, 14 it says, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So abandon a quarrel before it breaks out. Now, does this advocate being passive? Does this advocate being a sissy? Does this advocate not having a, a, a perspective or your own opinion? 
No, it's just saying, look, don't strive about stuff. Um, strife comes in on a situation and it's like pouring gasoline onto a fire. And in fact, I, I've heard Ed Fosnock quote this verse a lot. Let's see if I can find it. Proverbs 26, 21. Like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to, con con to kindle strife. Like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to con con kindle strife. There's even a law against inciting riot. There's a law against inciting riot. And people do it. And it's illegal. It's actually, there are laws against it. And um, if we understand as, as God followers, as Jesus lovers, as ambassadors for Christ who are called by God right now to help people to not go to hell for eternity and to reveal the love of Jesus in our generation, in our lifetime, we've got this important very strong mandate from God and love is the hinge point of all of it. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It, love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, Proverbs 28, 25, an arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. So really our walk of love actually has to do with, I'm going to trust God and God's going to vindicate me. And in fact, you think about the verses, the litany of verses. Don't take uh, vengeance into your own hands. Leave room for the wrath of God. Right? He said, uh, the Lord, what, what does it say? I, he will repay. The Lord is, he, he, he will, he, he's, the, he's the one that will deal with it. There's a proverb that, and I don't recall where it is, but if you gloat over your, uh, someone's falling, what, what, how does it go? If you rejoice in someone's difficulty, it's like God doesn't, God, God sees you dealing with it. Oh, well, if you're going to deal with it, I'm not going to deal with it. So it's, it's that serious. It's like we've got to let God deal with these things. We've got to let God be our vindicator. Can I hear an amen? This is important. I mean, this is, I'm making you say amen because it's, you get quiet on this because it, it, you ponder it, but these, you guys, are the keys to the revival that's around the corner. These, and I have, see, I've been believing God since I was in my 20s that when this season came upon my life, it would last longer than just a couple of years. I'm believing God for longevity. This is what I prayed right when I became a Christian. I didn't even know what I, I, I didn't even have sense to pray it. I know now the Holy Spirit prompted me, put it in my heart, and I prayed it. That God, that God would sustain it. I didn't even understand what I was talking about when I prayed it. These two things I prayed when I was a brand new Christian, just at the beginning of my Christian formation. But I also, as a student of, of revival and a student of the move of, of, of God, I, I thought, God, why do these things just not last so long? Most of it has to do with strife and pride. So I'm believing God that what he does, he's, he'll do a quick work, but man, we can actually trust God for it to be sustainable and be built to last if we cooperate with heaven along these priority lines. And see, I guess Stephen Tyler and Joe Perry made up because that was 35 years ago when they were fighting over in the college campus concert in Illinois, and it probably happened a number of times. But, you know, they, they, they wanted to succeed and make a career of their music. But, but like Barry Gibb was basically saying, some things are more important than record sales, Right? Like hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Friend. Some things are more important than just gleeful little moments. We're, we're, we're in this thing for the long haul. We're in it to win it. And uh, Proverbs 22.10, this I've seen over and over again in my ministry. Drive out the scoffer and contention will go out. Even strife and dishonor will cease. Before a great move of the Spirit, I've watched the Lord do this again and again. Drive out the scoffer and contention will go out. It'll cease. And strife and dishonor will cease. Wow. There's something about this. Scoffing, murmuring, strife, critical spirit, uh, judgment, backstabbing. These things are not pleasing to the Lord. Again, Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. The devil knows that. That's why he sows discord among the brethren which God hates the sowing of discord among the brethren. 
including when people line up with it. That's why it's important that we, 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 we really go after these verses and we really discipline ourselves uh, to, to really walk this out. Proverbs 24, 17, and 18. Let's look at this. Proverbs 24, 17, and 18. Thank you, Pastor Virgil. Let's look at this up here. You guys with me? You good? You happy? You forgive each other? Look at somebody next to you and say, I forgive you. All right, verse 20, verse 17. Let's see, it says here, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Or the Lord will see it and be displeased and turn his anger away from him. So we need to leave room for the wrath of God, right? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. That's the verse. So we just don't have to become vindictive, bitter backstabbers. I've had to talk people out of it. I listen to people backstab other ministers. I've heard people that left one church. They backstabbed that pastor. I said, that's God's anointed. You can't do that. Oh, no, well, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, wait, stop, stop. And they wouldn't stop. And they just, and I knew then, they're going to keep doing this. This is a pattern. So the Bible is saying to us, it would be good for you, like Barry, the, the, thus saith Barry Gibb, the gospel according to the Bee Gees, Bee Gees chapter 5, 15, verse 1, get, he said, get rid of the conflict. If there is conflict in your lives, get rid of it. Flee the appearance of evil. Repent of these things. And as we develop and mature in God, we actually, instead of, oh, just watch you get yours, we start getting concerned for people. Actually, the Lord will touch our heart in a way as we mature because Jesus would say, Jesus didn't say, God, you, nuke them, God. I could call multitude angels on these guys right now. He said, for, well, he's in agony on the cross, not just because of the physical nails in his hands, thorns on his head, whipped back, stabbed side, nails on his feet, naked and humiliated. The, 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 hardest, the hardest part of it was the, the sin that came on him that he had never sinned, and all this sin came on him, all yours, mine, and ours, that's what killed him. And that's what made him so hideous. A lot of people have been beat up and looked terrible, but Jesus, what made him where that you couldn't even look at him was that he had, become, he had become a sin substitute for humanity. And even then, one guy's mocking him on one cross. The other guy's saying apologetically about that, hey, we're guilty, we deserve this. He, doesn't even, he didn't do anything wrong. Hey, would you remember me in, in, in your, in, when you come into your kingdom? This day I'll remember you in paradise. You'll be with me in paradise. So he's like, the other guy's scoffing him, but the one guy's repenting, and in Jesus, some of Jesus' very last breaths, He's, he's getting this guy situated for eternity. And then he says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. I think it's amazing when he cried out with a loud cry, one of those centurions said, surely this is the Son of God, based on the way he cried in his last breath. Even in Jesus' last breath, last word out of his lungs before he couldn't breathe anymore. God anointed that and touched that soldier who was a hardened, idolater, Roman centurion. Makes sense to me. The devil would try to stir and sow strife in the church. Makes perfect sense to me that on the, as he sees his days are numbered and as he sees opportunism, he takes opportunity and we go through a, have to shut down and then, you know, I just found out Vietnam, my wife has a friend from Vietnam and uh, she said their parents are in, they couldn't even go to the store for the last 48 hours. It's all shut down. There are nations all over the place that are freaking out. It makes perfect sense the devil would come in and try to opportunistically take advantage of church bodies and of Christ, individual Christians and of seasons and of nations. Well, there's a shaking of the nations, but the good news is we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken. So we're not wringing our hands, we're not freaked out, because the Bible, in fact, said all these things would happen. These would be birth pangs. So we're not surprised, we're not ignoring it, but we're also not going to play into any of the strategies that the devil is famous for. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and we know that strife hinders the anointing. Strife hinders the move of the Holy Spirit. We notice this in our marriage and, and uh, it was almost like a pattern. When we were really young, 
we could see we would get so tempted right before a responsibility and in the, con in the context of our responsibility. So we had to pay attention to that and not be ignorant of the devil's devices. And uh, because he said it's inevitable, offenses, temptation, and, and opportunities to sin will come. So, you know, and so then we, you know, you got to flee the appearance of evil. And, and, the, and I love this verse. The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so abandon a quarrel before it begins. And uh, so we would learn. And uh, we got better and better to the point where we would drive separate cars to meetings. <laughs> I mean, we, we got really specific on it. It's like, and we, we would drive at separate times, and we would be, and we would just not give the devil an opportunity. So we're not giving the devil an opportunity. Don't give him a toehold. Don't give him an opportunity. Right? Wow. Well, this is, this is an interesting message, and uh, it's really good. If you act on it, it'll change your life. And if, and if we as a church body come into terms with this, let's finish with Psalm 133. Let's read that. This is the national anthem of Israel. When uh, Rabbi Jim Bennett was here, he sang this song in Hebrew to our church. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. This is such a verse. This is, a, this is Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when, for brothers to dwell together in unity. This is what Barry Gibb was saying. Andy was gone. Maurice was gone. Robin was gone. I heard him say, I'm the only one left. He's been married to the same girl since 1970, so he's, and he's raised five kids, so he's figured some things out. And I think he's made a terrific statement at his, at his brother Robin's eulogy in 2012, May 20th. Get rid of strife. Get rid of conflict. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the beard, coming down upon the beard, on the head, even Aaron's beard. Who was Aaron? He was Moses' brother, and he was a priest of the Most High God. So this oil symbolizes what? The Holy Spirit. And Aaron symbolizes what? The priesthood of a believer. And he's saying that when you walk in unity, it's like that anointing. It's like the anointing. Can I tell you that the anointing is a separate entity? And that unity is like the anointing. That's what this verse says. Now, the anointing is a Christian term, a biblical term. It means uh, being saturated. It means where God comes in, it's like supernatural enablement. It's like where it, 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 it takes you beyond your humanity into something supernatural. Like how it, 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 uh, Elijah was able to outrun a chariot. That was where the anointing came on him. I have a friend named Tom. He plays piano. He's very skilled, he's a virtuoso, he has virtuosity in music, he plays, practices, he studied. He said, but I know the anointing, when the anointing comes on me, it takes me beyond myself. I've seen preachers, I feel my help coming, I've heard him say. I know what they mean. Where are you, like what God told Saul even, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 17. He said, go and prophesy among them and and uh, you'll be changed into another man. Do for yourself what the occasion requires because God is with you. When God gets on the scene, it changes, certifiably changes everything. When God gets on a church, it changes the church. When God gets on a marriage, it changes a marriage. When God gets on a sinner, it turns that sinner into a saint. When God gets on somebody that is inept, wisdom will come and they'll look so smart. When God gets on somebody that repents, forgiveness comes and life becomes beautified. The anointing can come on you to help you to overcome temptation, to bridle your tongue. The anointing will help you out. Uh, Pastor John Kilpatrick, Assembly of God minister now in Alabama, he said there's a difference between the anointing and the glory of God. And I thought, elaborate on that. I'm interested in this. So the anointing is empowerment for service. It's for ministry. It's like the healing anointing or preaching anointing, that kind of giving anointing. 
He said, the glory of God comes on people and they can't stand. So it's really not for ministry. So in his case, in his church, he, he laid on, he said, people thought I was sleeping through all the meetings. He said, I had this evangelist, Steve Hill, he preached, and I had Lyndall Cooley, the musician, he played music, and they thought I was just laying there sleeping. I wasn't sleeping. He said, I was just laid out before the Lord. God was anesthetizing him and comforting him and ministering to him. He was the pastor that had the heck beat out of him, and he was believing God for revival. When it hit, God just had him just lay out. It was kind of funny. But I'll tell you what, Brownsville, Pensacola, 90s and into 2000. And uh, it's like the anointing coming down on the edges of, the ro- of his robes. We're to wear robes of righteousness, dignified, elegant, regal as we go forth the remainder of our days. We're conforming to the image of Christ. And if Jesus forgave and he calls us to forgive 70 times 7, then we don't have any wiggle room with that. We must obey these scriptures. He said in verse 3, it is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Can I tell you, if we live a life without strife, we're really on to something. If we take the admonition of Barry Gibb and get rid of conflict, Jesus said it was inevitable that offenses will come. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, I've spoken these things to you so that in me you may have peace. He said, in the world you'll have tribulation, but take courage, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And getting back to what Marilyn Hickey said, it's not just an emotional thing. Forgiveness is decisional. So we choose this day whom we'll serve. We decide what we're going to listen to or not listen to. Like I've had to cut off. Look, I was serving a pastor, and I had three people come to my apartment. They sat down in our living room, and they sat down with me, and they began to broker this information to me, that you're wasting your gift, you, you are, you're depriving the world of your gift, you need to just stop serving this man and go do your thing, and I, had to, I slammed my hands on the table, I said, I can no longer be your friends, because I'm in, this is God's will for me, and you're trying to get me out of God's will, I cannot fellowship with you. Uh, as I'm going to serve and do what God's called me to do, and you're not going to talk me out of it, God is going to, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I mean, you, you could have heard a pin drop in there. And I wasn't about pushing people back, and I'm a, I'm a friendly guy. I, I, I'm a very social. And, and I had to draw the line there because they were not hearing from God. No, none of the individuals and the, coal, the coalescing of it. This unholy alliance of it freaked me out. But I've seen it over and over and over again. I've seen these things over and over and over again. The only common denominator is bitterness toward the leader. People that didn't even like each other before, they find each other and have meetings and things. I've watched this. They're like playing music for each other and talking. It's like, they're, who, who, the, were the, who, were the, who were the people all there? And it is fascinating. And I've seen it again and again and again and again and again. So... Understanding, though, that a little leaven leavens a whole lump. Understanding the stakes are so high. Here's the thing I noticed about rebellion. Rebellion feels a lot like the anointing. Your adrenaline rushes. You have a cause. People get together, go around a theme. Well, I'll tell you right now, this is what I think of it. Na, 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 na. And it feels like a move of the Holy Spirit, only it's not holy and it's not the move of the Spirit. But it feels like it. So people get justified, like, ah, oh, man, I'm self-justified in this. Yeah, I got offended. Yeah, me too. I didn't like what they did. And it's, a lot of it can be justifiable, of course, because it's inevitable. Offenses come. People make mistakes. People do the wrong thing. You might not like somebody. But the bottom line is, when they started mocking Saul, David reared up and his ears pinned back and said, don't mess with God's anointed. And he, that's what carried David all the way to leading a, a whole life, dying with his, you know, and, and God saying, this was a man after my own heart who did all my will. So here we are, about a third or half away into the development of what is now going to be a great revival. We as a local church, you guys watching, wherever you are in your context, this is an important message. It's non-negotiable. We, we cannot afford a life with strife. A little of this leaven can 
You know, the other day, my, my daughter bought some lemons, and one of them grew uh, green fur. <laughs> and they were like fresh lemons. As soon as this one grew green fur, everybody else grew a green fur beard. The, everything that touched that one, they were all like, and I looked and the whole bag was all, I had to, and I took it out and I, when I opened it up, this cloud of green whatever spores and some of you medical people are going, don't breathe that stuff, Pastor Jeff. And I think I did, you know. And I thought, I thought it was just one bad apple could mess up the whole bunch, but I didn't know lemons could grow green beards, did you? And I didn't know believers could get so, like in Joseph's case, they were like, you know, dad died, and are you going to recant on your forgiveness? And Joseph wept. He said, no, man, I am not going to be that bitter guy. I'm not going to be that resentful guy. Jesus is on the cross saying, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He's telling the disciples, forgive 70 times 7. Little leaven leavens a whole lump. The devil goes, man, the revival's coming. It's been a pandemic. People have been displaced. They've been through jobs. People have been attacked. Their marriages, all this stuff. And, and churches, you know, this, there's this moment you can watch this moment. But really what the Lord's doing is he's driving out the scoffer. Amen. Proverbs 22.10. Drive out the scoffer and contention will go out. Even strife and dishonor will cease. I'm so excited about this. Because what will end up happening is people that are clueless about the gospel are going to get hungry for God and they're going to get saved. They're going to be people filling up these, these seats, and they're going to be saying, I need Jesus. I didn't even know that I needed Jesus, but I need Jesus. Atheists are going to come in and say, I'm not an atheist anymore. Agnostics are going to say, I get it. I realize it's Jesus that I need. People are going to be saved, healed, delivered, set free. Chains are going to fall off. And it makes perfect sense that the devil is over here conniving and trying to get people to be bitter. Get over here and get bitter and get this as your common bond. A little bitterness, a root of bitterness will spring up and cause trouble and by it many will be defiled. See to it that no root of bitterness rises up. Wow. Why would that be the exhortation from Hebrews? Because the writer of Hebrews knew that would be a temptation. On the other hand, behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Woo! John chapter 17, what did Jesus pray in his priestly prayer? That we would be one even as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. How does that happen? By the grace of God. How do we do it? We leave no room for, for the, the devil to come in and steal and hinder and cripple. Let's all stand up on our feet and uh, let, let, let's just shake this off. Let's, let's just, if you've been like Paul, you've been bitten by a serpent, shake it off into the fire. If you're around people, I remember three men in the church went on a service international trip. One was bitter. He murmured to the other two. Three lemons grew yellow, green beards. All of them left. But, but two, one, two of them came back and realized one was eight years, one was ten years. What happened? I know what happened. A root of bitterness, a little leaven. They grew green beards. They got around the, the rotten, they got around the rotten. Do I miss the other one? No. He was the sower of discord. Remove the scoffer, the strife will cease. Did I miss the other two? Yes. They got poisoned by the in the one that the intendee. That's why I said to these other people, I'm not your friend anymore. I did. You're trying to get me out of God's will. You're not my friend. What did Jesus say? Who are my mother and sister and brother, but those who do the will of God? See, that's how you, that's how that your relationships are defined. Like, that's what Jesus said when they said, hey, your mother and your brethren are seeking for you. He said, who are my mother and sister and brother, but those who do the will of God? You guys with me? This is strong teaching tonight. I'm up here being a father right now. Uh, th this is like rules in the playground as we're getting ready to see a great manifestation of sweeping change and manifestations of the Holy Spirit that will cause so many people to come to the Lord. Oh, it's a threat to the devil. That's why he wants the carriers of the gospel to have a root of bitterness and be agitated. But the Lord's driving out scoffers. He's driving out scoffing. He's purging and cleansing. 
So you just want to make sure you don't get around that lemon that has a yellow beard or green beard and you want to keep fresh and you want to keep on track and you, and, and, and you, you, gotta, you gotta pay attention to what I'm saying. You gotta watch, gotta watch what you watch and watch who you hang out with. Be careful what you listen to. Uh, 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 do not associate with an angry man or, or you'll learn his ways and become like him. I remember a man that was bitter toward a pastor who started a church. He said, we don't need another church. It was years and years ago. It's one of the great apostolic churches in a region. And then I heard that same conversation later on. It's just the same repeat. It's on repeat. Are you going to do this for your whole lifetime? I hope not. At some point you might want to repent for that. But in the meantime, wow. So this is, uh, this is not like uh, all exciting. It's kind of a rebuke. But open rebuke is better than secret love. And when, uh, if, we're, if we're trained by it, no, no discipline at the moment seems joyous. Um, it actually seems sorrowful. But, but if we're trained by it, it'll yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And man, God has really... I, there were times when I was so hurt, and I would preach early in our church, and I was hurt toward a leader. And while I was preaching, I would go sour. And, and while I was talking... The Holy Spirit would tap me out and say, hey, you know what you're doing right there? Don't do that anymore. He would be rebuking me while I was talking. That's how good God is. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. How many of you are glad for that? That shows you're, you're a legitimate son or daughter of God when he deals with you. How many of you have a conscience? It's good to have a conscience and not sear it with a branding iron. That's what scoffers do. They become finalizers, know-it-alls, and blab their brains out. They love to hear themselves talk. They love to draw disciples to themselves. They, do, they rebel. Rebellion has been and always will be exactly like the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion in the church is worse than incantations from a witch's coven. Rebellion in the church is worse because Christians are equipped with authority given by Jesus. And they're called to walk in an exemplary and a different way. You expect witches' covens and, and voodoo and stuff to do their thing. But in the kingdom? What? So let's lift up our hands. International sign of surrender. Just like, the, just like the disciples in the book of Luke. Say this with me. Lord, help my faith. Forgiving, loving, serving, obeying, keeping a good heart, not being diverted by people's salesmanship. Deliver us from manipulation. Help us to stay sweet, full of love, walking in the joy of the Lord, being kind to others. In the name of Jesus.